0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Weatherman Umbrella. Everybody needs a good umbrella. That's one of the things in life that you shouldn't go through without a good one. Weatherman is the best umbrella. These guys make unbelievable umbrellas. The company was started and the umbrellas are designed by none other than a weatherman. So I think that's who I would trust with my umbrella purchase as a weatherman. These umbrellas are resistant of wind up to 55 miles an hour. They were actually tested in a wind tunnel. They were the official uh, umbrella of the Ryder Cup team, as well as the President's Cup and Solheim Cup. So biggest team competitions in the world are, are trusting weatherman umbrellas. And they also provide... UV protection. So if you're looking to avoid the sun, umbrella is a great way to do that. So they come in two sizes, 62 inch and 68 inch, and they are great gifts for the golfer that has everything. And they have a variety of selection of umbrellas from Arnold Palmer collection, Folds of Honor collection to college umbrellas. So you can get your favorite college uh, or you could go with the Arnold Palmer, obviously iconic umbrella logo. You can go to weathermanumbrella.com that's weathermanumbrella.com and if you use the code FRIEDEGG all caps no spaces you'll get 20% off your order so go get a go upgrade your umbrella at weathermanumbrella.com today's episode is with our regular guest former PGA Tour champion US Open champion Jeff Ogilvy Jeff comes on to talk about the 2020 Masters tell some good Dustin Johnson stories, uh, talk about Rory, and uh, a lot of things. So, one of our favorite guests, and thanks as always for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Jeff Ogilvy. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset, and when I find my ball in a fried egg, fried egg, the
1: dreaded fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg,
0: fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. I was wondering did you like having balance like where you took time off or were you just all all the time golf
1: Oh later on I started taking time off but early days I was uh it was every day pretty much and if it wasn't if I if if there was a day off it was really because I just couldn't get to the golf course like Monday was just all travel or something else going on but early on so kind of like late 20s I was every day and then Gradually as you have to kids and like life gets on there's a much more day. And I really, as I went on, I looked forward to weeks off and I would spend two or three weeks off later in the year um, later on, but early days, it was every day. I think you kind of have to, I think the older you get, the longer time you can take off, you know, and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be all right. And you know, I think it's short when I was young and when I took oh, three days off, I felt like I set myself back two weeks, but now if I take two weeks off, I feel like I actually improve. <laughs>
0: it's funny that's when you're young you feel like you have to be there all the time or else it i wonder what it do you have you ever thought about what it is that flips is it just perspective um or knowing your swing better that
1: i think it's also your body just knows the move better and it's had more experience and it's learned more and it's harder to unlearn i think the more swings you make and the more golf you play it you, you it's like riding a bike, you know what I mean? Like the more you do it, I think it's harder. You just, you just retain it more, that makes sense. you got 30 years of golf under your belt, you don't know, forget how to play in a month, you know? But if you've got three years of golf under your belt, maybe a month makes a difference, you know? So, yeah.
0: With DJ now, uh, I think, you know, obviously he wins a ton. But the thing that I'm most impressed by is how he wins. You know, how he's just seemingly like blows out fields all the time and they happen to be the best fields should that count for something when we're looking at his career in totality is how he won should that factor in legacy
1: um i'm a bit weird on legacy i don't i don't, I don't know um all i know is he makes golf look easier than anyone i've ever seen play golf anybody um Freddie made it look really easy. You know, Louie makes it look easy. Sometimes Rory makes it look pretty easy, but, um, Dustin, it's just, there's just no real, he's not expending any effort to actually play such a aggressive game or something. You know what I mean? It's just such a peaceful headspace. He gets in and it seems to be so easy for him. Um, I th- his legacy is sound, I think. Whether he, I don't know. Whether he wins big numbers, or not. I mean, sure, it makes a difference with Tiger, right? I mean, two thousand like fifteen shots and nine shots, two majors in a row. That certainly added to his kind of mystique and legacy because he won him by so far. So it's got to be part of it, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think I saw. I think Shane Bacon pulled these stats. So yeah, of his last thirteen wins, like over fifty percent of them are by five shots or more, or three shots or more. It's just something bad. You know, and, and these are WGC's playoff events. Like, DJ doesn't rack up the, you know, John Deere Classics.
1: No, he wins big tournaments, and it's kind of seems to be like how he is. When he does win, it seems like he's he gets to that sort of point of freedom in his golf game where he just gets better and better that week. Like, he's playing better on at the end than he was at the start. I feel like he just doesn't feel like he's just hitting it harder and he's hitting it longer and he's so free. And it's like if he played eight rounds, he'd win by twice as much. You know, it just seems like he's he's improving on that course faster than everyone else all the time to me. He just seems to play better every day. Um, and that's a a rare gift, I think. to do. The freedom he plays with towards the end of the tournament is amazing how hard he can hit his driver.
0: Yeah, it's like that final round where he has those early bogeys but then, and then he's laying up on par fives on the back nine from, and, and he still shoots the, he ties to the little round of the day. And it's like, he, he was playing as conservatively as he could.
1: Yeah. He just can't help it. He just can't help it. Like he's just good. Right. I mean, I've played, I played a fair bit with Dustin and I played a couple of practice rounds with him. I don't know, four or five years ago, the masters pre the tournament, you know, like a week or so before. And I hadn't really ever thought of him as, an obvious guy to win there, but this is probably 2015 or something or 14 or 15 playing practice rounds with him. And after two days and he took all my money, um, 36 holes, it was like, Oh my God, how does this guy not win this every single time? It was unbelievable how amazing he looked around there. So I've been kind of picking him every year since, you know, um, and there was a good one for him, I think, because it even suited his game even more being a little bit softer, I think. Um, so aggressive and free it's just uh it was and the greens weren't like at their filthy scariest you know which if i give me he's a great putter but if he did have if there was an area of his game where he wasn't a 10 out of 10 he was only an 8 out of 10 it's his putting probably right um and it was probably easier putting than traditional augusta putting maybe i don't know but um what a golfer. Yeah. And his headspace is so good. So natural. And I'm glad that Rory came out and there's a few guys coming out saying, Hey, there's a little bit more going on in there than you guys think. Cause I've always thought that, that he knows exactly what he's doing. He's just smart enough to not worry about like all the details, you know, and that's actually a gift and an intelligence to not chase the rabbit hole chase taste the technique down the rabbit hole and, Tried all this Pretty much every other tour player does. The opposite, he's the opposite of Bryson. You know, he's the anti-Bryson in the approach. They both work hard, but Dustin just he feels it, and Bryson works it out. You know, works it out with his brain. Dustin works it out with his body. You know, and his feel. And it's just so uh, it's incredible to play with. It's quite intimidating to play with Dustin because of how easy he makes it. You know, how strong he is, and um. But then you talk to him, and he's like a little puppy dog, he's just nice to everybody, and he's zero ego um about his approach, really relative to the p g a tour. It's quite hard to look down the range and not bump into a few egos down the range on the tour and he actually is probably the lowest ego of all out there, which is so amazing, considering he's probably the best out there. it's incredible
0: it's it's like you said when we did the pods last year um about how you have to play free at Augusta you can't play scared at Augusta or else it'll eat your lunch like you have to swing free to take on those shots and then you think about the way and that is what gets overlooked is in a way he's like the ultimate feel player because of how few how little he thinks about it it's you know for for 72 holes this tournament crew has been following DJ and on the 18th hole they're still shocked at how quick he hits the ball you know
1: Yeah, it is. It's, he's, it's, it seems to be like almost, I mean, I said anti Bryson, if Bryson, Bryson, that sort of approach is like the modern approach, like the no stone unturned or the one percenters. Let's just look in every angle of the game and how can we master every bit? Dustin's like, Oh, well, I just hit the ball over there and I do it better than you come catch me, you know? And it's so refreshing and it's so fun to watch. And I think most golfers on tour, I think are kind of envious at how simple his approach is. Um, but I don't, it's not, um, he's not without like working on something when he needs to, like when his wedge game was a bit off and him and Butch and Claude or whoever it was got him in front of it. And maybe even Keith from uh, TaylorMade, they got him in front of the track man to work on his wedge yardages and he sharpened that up, but he didn't go over the top and like kind of show off with doing it. He just warmed up for 10 minutes every day, saw how far he hit his wedges. And in a couple of months, he was a great wedge player. Um And then stops really, doesn't overdo it like most of us do. You know, we get something that works on tour and then we just beat it to death because it's good. And then we beat something out to death. And before we know it, we've got seven little drills that we have to do before we can even hit a shot. You know, he doesn't do that. He kind of fixes a little issue and then just, I've worked that out now and now I'll just play. You know, Um, it's a really unique uh, gift that he has, I guess, at not, once it works, he doesn't mess with the formula. You know, he's like, this is good. I'll go this way, and it's so it's so difficult to do. It's the hardest thing to do in golf is to not like tinker all the time. And he doesn't seem to.
0: There's something too that, like, you know, most players talk about what they're working on, and for him, like, he never said he's just like, oh, I'm, I'm hitting it good, you know, I'm playing well. Like, you know, the fact that he gives so little off, it's almost like I don't know if you follow NFL football, it's almost like Bill Belichick in a way where Belcheck, you know, gives press and the other teams, nothing, you know, he's always, it's like Dustin, I doubt he's intentionally doing it by, but, but by never, you know, construing any difficulty with golf in his game, he probably mentally, like you were saying, he makes it look so easy. He, you know, he never says anything's hard and it probably messes a little bit with, with the competitors.
1: I think a little bit, and it's also how water off a duck's back he can be. Like, I really, I, I like the the no ego thing. He doesn't seem to care. Most of our reaction, when we play bad, or most, but I think almost this is human nature. When we hit a bad shot or we play bad, we get angry. We're actually getting angry for everybody else. Yeah. You know, we're like, I'm better than this. See, look, if I get angry, they'll think I'm, I'm normally better than this. Or we're a little embarrassed about the shot we hit, and that's what flares us up or something. He doesn't have any of that. He shoots 80, and he walks off the course like he shot 65. So he's going around there, truly not concerned with what people think, not concerned whether people think he's good or bad. So there's all that weight's off his shoulders, and he just plays golf. If he plays well, that's cool. If he doesn't play well, oh well, I'll play belt well next time. You know, it's such a a peaceful way to play that that's intimidating to be around someone who. Why can't you just get annoyed about something for a minute? You know, it's incredible. Do you uh
0: do you remember like the first time you played with him and like were you was there like were you in awe of how he hit driver? Do you remember early rounds with him versus you know as you you know you played a decent amount with him as you became more familiar with him? Like how your opinion or perception of his game changed?
1: Yeah, I think I played with him the first. I played the first time I played with him was Akron. And that was pretty close to what was his first year? 09 or something? Yeah, 08, 09, something like that. I think it was his first year, and he'd won Pebble earlier in the year. And I remember it was right at the beginning of Twitter. And I wouldn't normally remember this, but it was because I tweeted it. I'm not on. I have been on Twitter for years, but it was kind of like the the new kid in the town on the block at the <laughs> moment of Twitter. So every round you'd come off, you'd say, "Oh, something about it," you know. Um, but I remember coming off going, "Oh my gosh! I just played with Dustin Johnson. This guy's gonna be this guy's unbelievable." Like I could not believe how well he hit it. Like when you when you're kind of where I was at at that point, sort of late twenties, top of the game, or well, not top of the game, but up there in the sort of top areas, you, you have a level of kind of pre disrespect. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not disrespect, but you 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 I'm know, be- you're, better. Better than, like, you know you're better. better you know you're better than us. Yeah, you know? I just Almost. am. Yeah. Almost everybody
0: you're playing with, you're better than.
1: Yeah. And like, I'm not saying I'm better human, but I'm better at this job than you are right now. But, and you very rarely, every now and then you come across like a Louis all of a sudden comes from, I remember I first played with him from Africa, I'm like, Oh my God, who's this kid? You just notice. It's like, this is different from the normal guy I play with. And Dustin was the same after I remember he, after about nine holes, he pumped it up nine, nine at Akron's a really hard fairway to hit. And I'm like having to skirt it up the left semi rough to like, keep it on the right edge of the fairway. And he just flies the whole hill and hits like a sand on in. And I was longish, and I was, as I said, I was top ten in the world and playing with it. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, it's unbelievable. I can't beat this guy if he starts playing like this. Um, and I only probably, I had three or four. You have, I had three or four of them in my whole career, and he was one of them. Louis was one of them, and he was one of them, and Rory was one of them. That's just like, wow, this is different from everybody else. Yeah,
0: you just when you play with someone, you know, this better than you, you just know pretty quick on a golf course. I feel like, you know, it's just, they, they, it's like, you can see him hit a shot or something and you're like, I don't have that shot.
1: Absolutely. And like, it's just, it's to, even as much, as just the sound it makes when a guy hits it because we stand on range. I mean, I've heard, I've heard myself hit it my whole life. I've heard good players hit it every day. You stand on the range and you hear 50 guys hitting the ball all the time, constantly. So we 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 are really tuned into the sound of a golf shot. Every five or ten years, somebody comes along and hits one that we've never heard it sound like that. It's like, oh my goodness. And Dustin's one of them. It's just Dustin and Rory, especially, their noise, the noise it makes, it makes you turn around like when they're hitting their long clubs because it's sat square and that's solid. And yeah, I can't do that. <laughs>
0: Has there been any guy that has that sound that, you know, that hasn't had the career that you thought they would that, you know, maybe not Dustin or Rory level, but who you were like, Oh, you know, this guy I think is going to be really good, but just hasn't. And I don't want you to throw anybody under the
1: bus. Um, It's pretty rare to be honest. Usually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think also it's a self preservation confidence thing. I don't know what all the other guys, but at least I can't speak for them. But for me, I think I would always kind of not like, just, just feel like I'm better than them anyway. Just not, not look. It was Mm -hmm. only if it was just that amazing that it would like, you would notice because it's sort of like to keep yourself confident. You can't think, Oh my, this guy's good. This guy's good. This guy's good. This guy's good. Even though everyone's good. You kind of have to keep a bit for yourself. Now I can still beat that guy. I can still beat it. But every now and then someone comes along that you just, you're just just in comedy like it's just that much better it's silly um and those guys were it not really i think generally sound is a very telling thing um and it's a tuned in thing that the average ear that hasn't listened to a million pros hit balls could hear it but there is very rarely a guy can make that sound that squash doesn't at least have a period where he's just outrageously good um no everyone who should have made it i think there's some who have like Gone away, made it, and then gone away quickly. And you can't work it out why. But generally, I mean, someone who we notice is great is usually great.
0: Who's the guy that had the worst sound that was really good? That you know is a testament to they they weren't they didn't have the Christmas sound, but they got every ounce out of it.
1: I don't know. I mean, look, there's there's a whole gamut across that I've played with. I mean, Corey Pavin was nuts at getting around the golf course. Now, he didn't make the sound, but he struck the ball really well, but so differently from every other pro. I mean, by the time I was playing with him, he was hitting these his low-burning fades, massive cuts, like really low and like running up the fairway. And then he would hit these really low... And he could he could miss hit a lot of shots, but he would always beat you, you know. That, to me, was amazing. Furick is nuts. He strikes it really well, but it doesn't hit it very hard. But the game he plays, and when you watch him play, it's like... Incredible. Yeah, there's been so many different versions. There's not many really who have clanked the ball and done well for a very long period of time. There's some guys who just don't have the strike. I can't, I'm not going to throw anyone on the bus. <laughs> I can't think of anyone on the top. Some Look, some guys are gifted natural ball strikers and some guys are gifted natural around the greens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you know what? Like Brad Faxon is never going to make a sound like Rory McIlroy when he hits it. But Brad Fraxon tells Rory how to putt, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, everyone has their spot, but um, generally, guys hit it pretty well. I think now, I think it was probably different. Back with Woods and Ballardas and um, Blades and like the clubs back from the 80s, when you pick them up now, it's like no sweet spot clubs. Um, there must have been a much more sort of variety of strikes and stuff with different equipment. But now, most guys are hitting it pretty square and solid, I think. <laughs>
0: One of my favorite uh, Corey Pavin memories is that Travelers, he got in the playoff with Bubba. They, they got in the playoff, <laughs> and I think he hit three wood into the playoff hole, 18, and Bubba had lob wedge.
1: I oh, know, right? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, but that shows how good he is. He's yeah. got three wood in it. He's in the playoff of a tournament. I mean, it's nuts how good he was. It's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, that, a good juxtaposition, in a way, was, was uh, Cam Smith, and DJ, like the way Cam Smith was playing. You know, he's kind of hitting it all over the place. He was getting up and down out of trash cans. You know, it was incredible. It, you know, he's hanging in there. He, he really had a shot on the back nine if DJ, you know, screwed anything up. But and that, that was the thing. I, I wanted to, you know, your President's Cup team comp- showed out. It was like the 2019 President's Cup team leaderboard. And uh, I wanted to know if you thought, their Royal Melbourne, it all helped them.
1: I th- yeah, I think a few things helped them. One, one, when we left that week, there were everyone I think, or at least most people inside the locker room, had the feeling that a lot of these boys are going to kick on and have a. They're going to get a lot out of this. You know, we had a really good week. Ernie Else was incredibly like good captain, and I think they all got a lot out of spending a week with Ernie and um, and at Royal Melbourne. So there was a feeling, and then COVID came, and and maybe there was a little bit of momentum lost, but yes, I think Royal Melbourne really helped them from the Masters, um, especially guys like Anser and that who probably hadn't played stuff like that before. Um, and the confidence you get out of making putts and hitting shots like they had to at the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne, are similar style shots at Augusta. Um, so I think it probably helped them, yeah. I mean, look, it's a great dress rehearsal. I mean, Royal Melbourne, while it looks completely different, if you can navigate Royal Melbourne you can navigate Augusta you know by the way the greens are and the way you have to approach them and under the hole and angles and all that sort of stuff so I'm sure it really helped um yeah brilliant it was fun to see Cam Cam's Cam's got that way about him that the closer you get to the end of the tournament the better he's going to be you know really hard work a great player but he's definitely got a nose for the the porty end of the tournament and you could see that with the scramble and hanging on. It's like, didn't matter what he was doing. He was going to hang in there, you know? Um, so I would he's got every chance to win anywhere when you see him sort of the way he was doing. He was um, playing great and Answer played great. Yeah, it's look the Masters has always had a lot of international stuff up the top. And I think that's because it's quite unique. It's a unique setup for American golf. So it's a bit more democratic in that respect. You know, I think um, it gives, it's a little bit more of a long hitter's course now but it generally gives everyone a chance and if you can sort of adapt and learn with any experience you can pull experience from anywhere and i think it helps you augusta um and i think generally international non-americans have often done really well because their their experience with a variety of conditions kind of steps up and i think royal melbourne's probably one of the best examples of that
0: yeah that's the. I think obviously dj won he's one of the longest players this year but in general the last few years it hasn't been long players that have been winning necessarily all the time. Like obviously you have your Bubba's, but you have Spieth. You got Danny Willett, it wasn't necessarily long. Tiger at age forty four was not a long hitter. You know, it, it it's it's a course that is very you know, it allows a lot of different styles and I thought, you know, with just Sung Jay, DJ and and uh Cam, it showed like three distinctly different types of players uh going going at it down the stretch on Sunday
1: yeah I mean look I think distance gets so much attention now and it's a bit unfair to the rest of the game you know because the rest of the game is always just as important and getting the ball in the hole is still the most important thing I mean Bryson holds so many putts like it's not just if he hit it far and didn't hold any putts we wouldn't even like we would all be bagging his approach you know I mean? We would all think it's wrong. So, and Augusta is always great at showing that, you know, I mean, distance is a massive advantage, but it's proportionate to everything else, you know, proportionate to the short game and strategy and leaving it where it is and leaving it under the hole and putting well. So, um, yeah, again, playing at its absolute longest, I imagine, last week with the way the fairways were playing with all the rain. Um, yeah, with Cam and, Sung and as you say, normal sort of players and Speeds had a great run there um a few years back. Length is important, but it's you can overcome that if you do other stuff great there. Did
0: you use green reading books a lot when you played? Did you start at the end or were you just pretty much did you read the green?
1: Yeah, I didn't really use green reading books. I feel like the the traditional kind of breaks to the eleventh green kind of thing works really well at the masters, the red dot theory, you know, in the local caddies, they've got red dots and that's kind of the general direction and the ones that are obvious break where they do. And the ones that aren't obvious generally kind of drift towards that sort of Ray's Creek area. Um, I'm I didn't like tour. reading a green. Oh yeah. I didn't like reading a green with a percentage. I think I, I put one in a couple of times and had a look, but I found myself getting so entrenched in the book and forgetting about the putt, And that's not, I, it, I feel like it gave me the right reads, but I didn't hit the right putt reading it that way. Does that make sense? I was a little detached from the feel of it or something. So it didn't work for me. Um, so it wasn't my thing. But I've seen guys who weren't amazing green readers, put them in and became great green readers and improved their putting. So I'm I'm not saying they're not great for the right guy. But for me, they weren't my thing. I was more under my feet, kind of look, feel. I needed to be connected to the feel of the putt more than I needed to know the exact break, that makes sense. Or I do.
0: I'm I'm curious with big tournaments, did you ever have like a trouble getting started at any part of your career, like getting going in like the first round, like just getting off to a good start Was that ever?
1: Yeah, I think for me getting off to a good start, if I'd hyped up the tournament a lot in my mind and like really was excited about it and like it was a it was almost too important i'd made it too important in my mind yeah i think starts were really difficult um it sounds kind of negative but i feel like almost on the first tee just sort of oh well i hope i play well this will be nice and like focus and like get right into this but we'll see what happens was a better approach than i'm going to play well this week you know for me i feel like when i was i'm going to play well this week six holes in i'm 3 over after six and scratching my head going well oh, I wonder if I can get home Friday night or it's going to be Saturday morning, you know? Um, But later on, or the, the ones just even earlier on, I did quite well at starts and majors and stuff when I actually went there and I had no clue and I was just happy to be there and I played well, you know what I mean? As opposed to later on, sometimes when I was really revved up and like I'm going to play well this week, that's when I found it hard. So um, I'm guessing this is related to Rory um, it's just,
0: yeah, I've, I've had, I, it's just puzzling, you know, it, it's, uh, and I I think, like, and I'm not at all any sort of person that can talk to PGA Tour, but like, I feel like when we'd have a state tournament at a course I grew up playing or my home course, or I always struggled at those, but if it's somewhere else, like, and, and I just wonder if something, you know, you look at what he's been doing in majors, and it's like, if he just got rid of the first 18 holes, he'd have won three or four of them by now since his last one. And it's just, it's just, it's so interesting. And you, every year you hear him with a different mentality coming into the Masters, you know, it's one year he's juggling, you know, one year he spent tons of time at Augusta. And it, it, you just wonder, like, it's, it's gotta be, cause like somebody, the same guy that played the first 18 holes wasn't the same guy that played the next 54.
1: No. And that's pretty common. The pattern, his pattern at the master's last couple of years, bad first round, like good barnstorming finish. That's quite a common pattern, you know? And as you say, that seems to pop up with home courses and courses where people, everyone's like, this guy's going to win for sure. He's a a master at this course. All of a sudden he starts badly. Um, Well, that's just, that kind of amplifies how good Dustin's mental state is. Yeah. You know, like it actually, it means so. It means so much to Rory, and he's actually trying. He's trying different things to play well there. You know, which is admirable, and it's ninety-nine point nine percent of humans do that. You know, oh, that didn't. I'll try a different approach. I'll juggle or I'll go there more or. I'll, and so it's it's a big expectation in his head. Dustin's like, oh, the Masters are next week. I hope I play well. You know, kind of thing, and he's obviously working. It's not like he's not working for it, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, and I think we we assessed Australians. We saw it was the shark at um, Augusta. It just became almost too important, you know, and for Rory, it's, it's partly self-inflicted, but also like the world around him inflicted. You got to win this. You got to win this. You got to, we don't have to win this. The guy's an all-time hall of fame legend. I mean, what a legend. Yeah. He does it. He just plays so good. It must be so fun to play like that. He doesn't need it. Like Sam Snead never won the US Open and Sam Snead's going, all right, it's fine. You know, so it's like, it's fine. Um, but he obviously really, really wants it. And that's a hard thing. That's just a hard it, it's a it's a difficult course when you don't even like it not for the masters, but all of a sudden you put all that stuff in it and all the ghosts of the masters and the all the things that come with the fact that it's the masters, the lifetime exemption, it's the green jacket and all that stuff, it just adds so many layers of um pressure if in your head winning is the only good result that week. You know
0: yeah i mean it, it's like what you saw ernie's comments a couple of years ago like and you know he was a guy that was like a perfect example where oh he's gonna win three of these things and and he's perfect and he goes out and shoots i what was it 33 on the back nine with a two shot lead and loses to phil you yeah. know one year and, and, and it's just it, I think Rory's self-awareness and like everything that makes golf fans love him. I I got comments from people like, why does every golf writer or commentator love Rory so much? And it's because of his self-awareness and like the way he speaks about the game that everybody loves it. it loves, you know, him and roots for him it, is that might get in his way of like, you know, the expectations just rise. And he, he's too aware of everything that comes with it.
1: Yeah, thinking is certainly the enemy um, in golf, like overthinking, any thinking really. I mean, we all just do better if we just see ball, hit ball, right? That's the ideal. And Rory's uh, not made up that way. Neither am I. Um, we think about stuff and like he, um, he's very, as you said, very aware of the whole situation, the whole state of the game, um, where he's at, the importance of everything. Very kind of, yeah... He's that guy, which is great in the media center, but maybe not so great at getting ready for the first round of a tournament. You really, 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 really want to win, you know, because he's clearly playing as well as Dustin. If you look at his last couple of rounds, he's, he's on pace form-wise.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, um, he spotted Dustin 10 shots. And they played together. DJ beat him by 10 shots in the first round, and then they finished the tournament as 20 under to 11 under. You know, they played the same for the next 54 holes
1: yeah so the standard is is he's right there I don't know look I played with Ernie a couple of times in the first round first two rounds at the Masters when he'd been playing well in the lead up and all that kind of when he was in the thing and he started poorly too and it's like I think what happens to me at least when I had a lot of expectations and I would go out and start I would be playing the same but maybe I make a bogey on the second hole if I had high expectations that week that bogey on the second hole would make my head explode and all the stress and all the worry. Whereas if I was just going in there hoping to have a good tournament, if I bogey the second, I was like, Oh, we'll get it back on the third. You know, it was like more or cause I wasn't worried about anything in the future. I was just like, all right, well, let's do bogey 2 Let's birdie the third. Whereas I think when you've got this expectation that you're going to win the tournament and this is the only thing that matters now, when you bogey the second on Thursday, all of a sudden you freak out, you know, and you don't react well. And now you're three over after six as, a, as opposed to maybe just, have a settling birdie a couple of holes later. So it's it isn't really that he's not ready on the first team. Oh, for me, if if I was doing what he did and I never did it on that scale, but when I had a bad first round and came storming back, it was always because I was too attached to the end result of the tournament on Thursday or Friday and not just on looking at what I was doing. And I think that's just a natural byproduct of wanting to win something so bad, it's hard to get out of your head, you know. Yeah. And you've been for six months, but every time you're on the range, your whole life basically, you're on the range hitting putts. This is about this is the 18 de- at the Masters, and this is to win this, this is to win that. When you get there and, and you've got all this air pressured up in the balloon and you're ready to go, as soon as you like kind of there's a crack in the armor, it all seems to fall apart when you're really, really amped up about the end result for me. But when I just went there with no expectations, and I'll hit it down the first and I'll see if I can hit the fairway and then move on. I mean, it's cliche, but it is. It's that one shot at a time, just be present. And I think it's very difficult to do that with such massive expectations and like kind of demand on yourself to win the tournament, which we all kind of do. Um, But yeah, that's his challenge isn't learning how to play well enough or any theories for winning the Masters. His challenge is to get there and to just treat it like a normal tournament. Because if he plays his normal way, he's going to be there at the end.
0: Yeah, and then you think back to, like, DJ, where this conversation started, and his mentality is, think about what happened to him at Chambers Bay and, like, how 99.9% of golfers would have reacted to that, you know, three put the last hole. You would have seen him with their head in their hands. Like, he just, like, walked off the putting green and was, like, went on his merry way, seemingly. You know, I'm sure he was busted up on the inside in some vein, but – from the outside, it, you know, he seemingly just kind of moved on as soon as it was over.
1: And people, what bugs me is people have often had that approach that's gone, oh, it's because Dustin doesn't think about anything. He's just, like, he's just so simple. And I'm like, well, no, it's actually the only intelligent way to, to deal with what happened at Chambers Bay. After 72 holes on that green, those greens, that was going to happen to somebody. You know what I mean? It would just, it, we'd all be missing two footers all week. So it wasn't like this was like a an easy sort of two putt that he had in a great situation. And it was like, you were kind of, that was that way he putted out on that last hole was was in every hole for 72 holes that week, the way it was. And he just, I think it's just, it's actually the perspective he shows. He's he's busted up. You know, you know he's busted up because he really wants it. But it's like, well, it just wasn't my day. The greens were like that it's a shame, but it's not going to help me to dwell on this. Let's just move on. Like, I don't actually think he has that conversation in his head, but that's how it happens. That's actually the the best way to deal with anything, the way he deals with it. And yet people kind of maybe think he's lucky for that approach, but I don't know. I just think he's he's got this innate feeling that none of that is, it's not really the end of the world when you three-part the last of the US Open because he knows he's great and I'll win some more down the road, you know? It's a great approach.
0: If you had to put it like an over/under on DJ's majors, what he ends with, what he, what would you? I, I mean, it he's got five runner-ups, two, two wins, you know, a couple, a handful of thirds. What's he get to when it's all said and done?
1: As I mean, that's that's obviously an impossible thing. But I it wouldn't be surprising to see him get to five or six. I think probably. I mean mid 30s now you'd think seemingly I mean I know he's had the odd injury here and there but they were kind of outlier injuries he hasn't had a pattern his, the pattern of his body's been pretty good um and he doesn't he's clearly the best golfer it's physically he's going to be competing for five or six years and that's 20 or so chances um he's so good when he gets good I mean he might not win anymore but it wouldn't be surprising to see him win five or six or seven, you know what I mean? Because he could easily win two in a year. The way, like he, when he gets going, he gets going and it's almost no one beats him and he just gets further away from the field. And he seems that was the first time he'd started in a lead, right? Like a proper lead in a major and like just he had a bit of a rough ish front nine and then just went away. I think you do that once there's unbelievable confidence that he can get out of that. And if you've got that confidence and belief with the game paired to that game that he has, wow. I mean, he could win and he could win at any court. There's no course that he couldn't win at too. Cause he's got more than just long, you know, he's got, he shapes it and he's got a great sense for golf. Like he knows, he plays a smart, he play hits the right clubs and his strategy is always pretty sound and he doesn't make bad decisions on the course. Um, he can win anywhere. I mean, he's got five or six months and he gets to go back to the masters again with all that confidence. If he's in form, it will be hard to bet against him. Um, So it'd be interesting. Yeah. I think he'll win a few more though. He's too good. Not to.
0: The other thing too, is that he's got, he's gone through every awful thing that can happen at a major, you know, on Sunday already. And I think there's value to that. Like it's, you saw it on, on Sunday. It's like he he made those two bogeys. Well, that was like nothing compared to when he shot 80 at Pebble, you know, and that was, you know, nothing compared. And it, and it was like, I think that stuff, when you have those near misses, it builds so much character in you, in your golf, in your golf character. Like it builds it in your golf soul. And it's like, I don't think he's going to have disastrous Sundays as often in majors or maybe ever again. Like he's had all the bad luck and he has to, you know, it's if he.
1: Yeah. I think I always found in those really extreme Sunday rounds, those big rounds, the disaster comes from panicking when you have like, he tripled the second at Pebble, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and then your head just spins and you panic a little bit. Whereas if it was, Thursday in the the Pebble Beach Pro-Am or something, he tripled the second hole, and then he'd go on and he'd make a few birdies. He wouldn't panic when he made the triple. He'd be annoyed, but he wouldn't panic. And I think on Sundays, you panic. But now, as you said, because he's been through that, been through an outrageously weird situation at Whistling Straits, Chambers Bay, again, kind of a weird situation, because on any normal green, he wouldn't have three-putted that. You know, it was a crazy pin on a crazy surface. And um,
0: Oakmont, even when he won, was crazy.
1: I mean, Oakmont... He's been through Sunday kind of weird, crazy, unsettling things that have happened on Sundays so many times. As you said, he's like battle-hardened now. Like, he's not going to panic. He knows he can get it done. He knows it's not the end of the world if he doesn't win, you know, because he's had actually some ones that really would make you think it's the end of the world, two or three of them. It's like head in the hands what sport am I going to play next sort of thing. But he's come out the other side unscathed and got better for it. Nothing. What's going to worry him on Sunday now? Yeah, Nothing nothing worse can happen that's already kind of happened. So he's now there in that headspace with a better physical golf game than most people and a, oh, well, like good things happen, bad things happen, but not worried about bad things happening now. He's got an advantage over everyone else who's now thinking that that bad things might happen, you know? So yeah, battle-hardened, brilliant. Yeah, I think he could... Sundays, he could just become the Sunday guy now, like quickly.
0: Yeah, and, and then he's got, obviously, like the PGA is like a Dustin Johnson set up tournament. You know, the U S open every year is a Dustin. And, and you know, now he's got the masters. Like in many ways, like I've heard major champions say that the opens actually the easiest to win, because if you get on the right side of the draw, it could be a half, you know, half field tournament is like, that might be the hardest major for him to win is the open. But even then he's got all the shots.
1: He's so talented. I mean, I think, there's no, it's, it's an outrageous like thing to say that anybody knows this for sure or whatever, but really pretty much every day, everybody in the world wakes up. He's the best golfer generally, you know, more often, he's more often that day, better than everyone else on that call. Everyone's there's some unbelievable golfers at the moment. There always has been, but like just Thomas and DeShambeau and Brooks and Webb Simpson and across the board. I mean, there's just players playing well all the time. Um, and I missed 10 of them. Right. But all things considered, Dustin seems to be the best most of the time. You know, he's always playing the best golf in the world. Um, and that guy with a good headspace, wow. I mean, you're not beating him. And in the Open, the Open's a ball striking contest more than it is a putting contest. You know, if the Masters and the US Open become short game and putting contests a little bit, the Open is usually, it's truly a ball strike. Firm conditions, crosswinds. Um, the putting is generally flat and a bit easier, you know, you hold a few more 15, 20 footers at the open, but getting it to 15, 20 foot is the real skill. Um, and he, he a ball striker that good. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's had he's some close well.
0: calls like Royal St. George's. He had a close call. Uh, was it St. Andrews? He was really close. And then Zach Johnson took that one, I think. But yeah, I mean, he's, I, I would say that if you put it at, at three and a half, if, you know, four or over or four or less,
1: it would be be an interesting bet.
0: I wonder what Vegas would put it at.
1: Oh, his over-under career? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, because he could win three next year mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he's at five, you know, or he might go two years. He might, I mean, when, when Rory left, uh wherever it was, was it Keeler, Keeler? Island, or yeah, Keeler, Keeler. Island or something, say, this guy's going to win 20 majors, you know. Um But things happen and life gets in the way and there's always... I mean, Justin Thomas is surely going to break out and win a few more the way he seems to play in these big tournaments all the time. And, and then there's Rory and then Bryson and then Brooks seems can win them for fun too. And then there's Morikawa who's coming and all these other guys. So it's it's not like he's going to have it free. Um, no one's ever had it free, but it's getting... There's more and more guys playing. Like when when I first started, and I'm sure it was even more like amplified back in Jack's day and Hogan's day and Jones's I mean all the way through the best has always been way better than everyone else you know and when I when Tiger came out and in my time it was so it was so far and away the best and then Duval, and then everybody else you know what I mean kind of thing and Ernie but now there's 25 guys who like play at that level that's such a high level um that it's going to be harder to amass. at a mass. It's at least at the moment, and we said this before Tiger came out that no one's ever going to win eighteen or ever no chance because there's too many good players. But it's even amplified now. There's so many good players, so it wouldn't be weird if you didn't win any, um, and it wouldn't be weird if you won another five. Like, it's, uh
0: yeah, I'd and- like to. Um, I'd like
1: to own a stake in Dustin's um, golf future, though. <laughs>
0: you should have tried to buy in at Akron when you played the first time with him.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Was- <laughs> Can I buy five percent of this? Mate?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a good, a, sh- a shrewd investment. That. Uh, uh. Uh, what, it, <laughs> yeah. um, so before the week, Cantley says the this golf course changes every year. They tweaked the 18th green two years ago, and they tweaked the fifth green last year. Maybe in a weird way, I know more about the fifth hole than Jack Nicholas knows about the fifth hole. And he talked. It, this was a question about like, do you? you know, lean on past champions, players that have had success here. And he kind of was like, you know what, I kind of just go do my own thing. So do you think the value of experience at Augusta National will decrease um, over time as technology continues to advance or is Augusta unique enough that it'll always require years of, of, of experience to continually succeed?
1: Um, I don't think it'll always require it. You know, like, I don't think it's a prerequisite. I don't think you need experience to play well there, but it certainly helps. I mean, look at Langer, yeah. you know. If you had that field around the Houston Open, Langer's not making the cut. You know what I mean? Or Mo- Tory Pine South or something. You know what I mean? Or most of the places we play. There's just no way. But you get to a really long, soft, toasted Augusta. There's, Langer has probably knows how to play that course better than anyone in that field, you know, cause he's played it more times than anyone else. And it really is always going to be that place. I'm not saying Patrick, Patrick can approach it any way he wants. And he's a very cerebral kind of guy and he's a smart goal guy and he works it out. Um, but yeah, and they do adjust. They, they've been adjusting stuff forever, right? Every year we'd get there. It's like, Oh, they've done something to 11 or they've done something to the fifth green or there's, there's something different here or, and, it's constantly evolving, but generally, it's not really, Augusta, about one little specific thing here or there. It's just the more times you hit it in the wrong spot there, you learn how to play the court. I mean, when you hit it in the right spot, you just think, oh, this hole's pretty easy. But it's not until you hit it over the back of the first hole that you just don't hit it there again and you don't miss it back right for that pin or front left for that pin or whatever. And you just takes a certain number of rounds that you can't get out of a green book or just looking. It just takes getting burnt a few times to kind of find your, your kind of line of charm around the course. You know what I mean? Or ways to play certain pins and how think how does it play when it's cold and windy? You know, how does it play when it's long and soft here? Like, Um, Does it play different in the afternoons? Can you read this green when there's shadows on it or not? Like it's such a, there are so many little intricacies and nuances to playing that course in that tournament. That uh, experience is always going to be an advantage. It's always going to be, it's always going to be um, an advantage to have that information. I mean, you don't, as I said, you don't need it, but it's an advantage. So Patrick is probably going about it the right way for him. But he'll be better there next time than he was this time. Yeah. And he'll be better there the time after than he was that time. So that sort of says that experience stands for something, you know.
0: Webb Simpson had, like, a great quote after his first round. He played really well. And last year, after, you know, years of not playing great, he finished, I think, T5th last year. And uh, they asked him, like, you know, what's with, you know, your recent really strong play here? And he said, you know, I had to start giving the golf course more respect. Like, I can't show up here and play it like I play a normal tour course. Like, there are places you just cannot hit the ball, and I have to leave myself in certain places. And he's like, and that now I'm playing the golf course so much better. You know, I'm able to score, and it's it's funny because like I I I almost got frustrated with JT on like, like Saturday and the just the entire week. Like, I thought he was playing just as good as DJ, and in a way he took chances and took things on places where you're like, you know, Tiger would have hit this shot here, you know? And, and because of it, he makes a six on, you know, a hole that, you know, instead of a four and, you know, it's like the guy that would have been, you know, we would have had DJ JT Sunday if he, you know, just kind of takes care of business. It's just interesting. Cause like I thought about that Patrick Cantley quote all week and it's like, you see the guys longer and even tiger came up with no form whatsoever. And after the first round, he's there 68, you know,
1: it is, it's that it's, it's hard to, there are no golf courses that we play at least regularly that have so much to learn. You know, it's a sense of timing too, because there's two ways. I mean, web is now has learned to respect the course a little bit. I had to learn to, lose a little bit of respect at times. I respected it too much. Sometimes I went in too cautious and played really, and I played great all week and finished 15th because I just couldn't make enough birdies because I was playing it too smart. Um, And where I think the guys who are really good at that place traditionally, I mean, guys like Jack and Tiger and Phil and Bubba is that they know when to play smart, but they also have a sense of timing when, you know what I have to take this shot on, you know, and they, and they do. Um, You know, because you see, you see the winners sometimes play outrageously aggressive shots in fifteen and um, stuff like that, and you just you just wouldn't do it if you had respect for the shot. But every now and then, there's there's a sense of timing and and a recognition of you know what to win this week. There's a few shots I have to take on, and there's a few shots that I really have to respect. And every day, and that's on every hole. I mean, one day the seventh, you're hitting away from the hole you're hitting a conservative tee shot away from the hole because that's the way the pin is. And then the next day you move the pin 15 feet and you're trying to smash it up as far as you can and you're really trying to stump and hole your second shot almost. Like, and they can change, like, and but you have to have experienced every hole with all the different pins in all their different conditions to kind of have that sort of database of knowledge about all these things, which ones you can get away with going for and which ones you can't. And I really do think that's just a trial by error experience thing. I mean, you can do it first week, Cam Smith played great. Was that that was his first one, right? Um I
0: don't think it was Cam, Cam nah, No, it couldn't have been c- his first. He nah. finished T fifth a couple of years ago there. And that's, then he yeah, had that's the, right. he, he, top five to chambers. Answer, too. was it his first one? Abe or it was it was uh Sung
1: Jay's. And Sung Jay's first one finished second. So it can be done. Um but uh it's just it's an advantage. As I said, and and as we talked about last year. One of the biggest things about Augusta is the the freedom which you can swing it. It makes you nervous because it's a nervous-making place and there's train wrecks everywhere. So you're hitting these shots that you can only hit if you you hit with this free gay abandon almost, you know, just, just what happens happens. And that's when you hit your great shots, when you don't really worry about where they go. But the shot that you're having to take on There's all sorts of bad things that can happen, but the only way you can hit it is to free up. So it does that to you. And I think the more you know the course, the more you understand the good and bad spots you can miss for each shot and each pin. So it allows you to free up, you know, because you understand what's up there in front of you. But if you haven't sort of played that shot with that pin in those conditions a few times, you might not know that there's a, that that actually short left is actually good today, you know, or, so you can free swing it out to the left and you'll be okay. It kind of, does that all make sense? I just think you just, you just got to have a database of things that you've done and people you've played with and you play practice rounds with guys who have played there before. And everyone's always talking about, everyone's got theories how to play every hole who have played there a long time. You know, the first you do this and on the second you do this. And you put all those theories together and you kind of come up with your own picture of how you want to play the course, but that takes some time.
0: Well, the the other thing too, is like, you don't know that's a terrible place until you get there one time,
1: you know? Yeah. <laughs> it looks quite simple. And like, you hit it there like two years ago on Thursday and you got it up and down easy, but they moved this pin six. This is a six foot in a different spot, this pin. And now you're in the same spot and you you can't chip it on the green, you know? Yeah, um, yeah it really is. Some spots that look really docile are really, really scary. And some spots that look really, really scary really aren't that bad, you know. Um, And Sungjae
0: Sungjae just went around and, and, you know, outside of Sunday. Sunday he was was getting up and down all over the place, but he just went around and flagged it all week. Like, he's in for a dose of reality when he doesn't have his A game and he starts finding these weird places.
1: Yeah, and also if he gets a bit of a bounce on the green – There's quite a lot of pins there that you can get it close to most pins there, but sometimes you have to land at 20 feet right and drift it in or short or back it up from the back slope or something. Um, He's just so mechanically amazing. Um, Doesn't miss a shot, has no weakness physically and clearly mentally he's pretty strong. Um, It's hard to imagine he's not going to be sort of knocking on the door for those majors for quite a while. If his game stays the same, because he's, Talk about sound and like talk about uh, adulation of the driving range. I mean, everybody loves Jay. I mean, he's <laughs> such a good player.
0: I just I hope he wins a major so he doesn't have to go through the military thing.
1: Oh, does that get them out of it?
0: Yeah, it's only only major I think or Olympics. So.
1: Oh, that would be grouse. You would think. Uh, well, he'd certainly make the Olympics if if it happens next year. Is it is it happening? I don't know, but um,
0: I think it's supposed to. So, That'd be
1: great. That's a strange thing isn't it when uh, was it Sang Moon had to go back? Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, think about like a stuff and then he checked in, <laughs>
0: like a two-year break, you know, from the game. It's just nuts. Was it? Wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it, uh Ernie Ernie was in the military early as a as a kid,
1: but he I think so early days, yeah.
0: But he went to some like his commander was like a golf nut, and he he ended up just teaching lessons on the range or something.
1: Yeah, you read that about all this. I wasn't. I mean, wasn't like when Arnie and all that in the service at some point. They were just giving golf lessons back in the day. Like,
0: <laughs> it's funny.
1: Hey, the servicemen. I mean, our boys need to, and our boys need to um, work on their golf game while they're helping us out. You know, what I mean, everyone needs to work their golf game out.
0: Real quick, lots lots of drama about the sixteenth hole moving the pin back right for Sunday. What do you think about it, that moving away from the hole one flag on the left?
1: Um. I wouldn't really like to see it on a regular basis, um, but there is, they used to when Nicholas told that part in 75, it was up there. You know, I don't know how, how long a period, like how long is it pre 75? Was it ever down there in the whole one pin?
0: I'm not sure. Or is
1: that, was that a new thing at some point, like in the late seventies or eighties? I don't know. It is a very fun pin. Um, and, it's a hole-in-one pin or it's not a hole-in-one pin and they know where it is. There's a six there's six inches in a different spot that it goes in and there's six inches away that it'll never go in, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think because of the history of that pin in the last 30 or 40 years, I wouldn't like to see it go away from it. But saying that, if you, f- if you make par on that top right, that's probably one of the hardest pars on a par three that's a seven on or six on or eight on or whatever you want to call it seven on in the world, that top right pin. I mean, you have got to hit the highest of high quality shots to get it on that top tier. And if you don't, it's a really difficult two putt because it's one you really got to smash from the bottom of the hill and you don't want to smash it because you don't want to hit a four feet past. You know, it's a great. So on a challenge perspective, I kind of like it. Um, but on an excitement perspective, I'd rather see people birdieing and hole in ones and stuff on sixteen rather than all the groans from three putts, you know, or balls drifting down the hill and like missed putts and stuff. So I don't know. I'd be 50 uh, I
0: I don't put much stock in this. Um, there's there are people out there that say, "Hey, you know, winning a major without fans isn't real." I th- I think you're you beat the best one of the best fields of the world. You won at Augusta it's a win to win everybody played the same conditions do you put any stock do you think it's easier to win a major without fans or you know is there any stock or at all that would say that major wins without the fans this year are diminished major wins
1: no i wouldn't say diminished at all everybody was playing under the same conditions right i mean yeah Everybody was trying to win. Everybody standing there on the first day last week really wanted to win the Masters. Uh, They were there's a there's a it's it's a it's a different environment that they're playing in, but the headspace is still the same. This is the Masters. This is lifetime exemption. This is the green jacket. This is all this stuff. Um, It's a different. It's probably different challenges, um, or maybe there's an element of challenge that's removed, but it's removed for everybody. You know, it's not like it's Dustin's playing with no crowd and, and, and a chilled out environment. Everyone else has pandemonium. It's the same for everybody across the board. So I don't think it diminishes it in any way. It's probably slightly... a. It might suit slightly different players here and there when they're like that, you know, Um Wingfoot might've been interesting. I mean, New York gets loud and boisterous and like kind of crazy late on a Sunday afternoon. Might've been different for Bryson. I don't know, but it still looked like he was so far and away the best player in the field, you know, and the same thing this week. And Colin, it's hard to argue. That That was a pretty exciting, revved up, atmosphere filled kind of back nine and finish even without too many people there. So I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't think it's diminished at all. Everyone's playing under the same conditions and I promise you every player in the field is um thinking of it as the same you know yeah
0: hey uh, any uh with 2020 coming to an end i think everybody's excited for 2020 to be over <laughs> but uh any impressions on golf in 2020 uh, like what's happened any uh any grand uh conclusions or or thoughts in general on the year
1: um wow no amazing i mean in March, when it all started coming down and all the events started getting cancelled and dropping like flies, it's just like wow, it was kind of Armageddon for golf, right? It's like, what's going to happen here? But all of a sudden, the, the PGA two did an unbelievable job. When they went back to Colonial, I remember. those. no, what are they doing? This is so yeah. ridiculous. Like everyone's going to get sick, and all the players. This is just this is such a bad idea but it went really well. And then they got better and better and better at it. And they basically had it. We forget that it wasn't like a normal year, but it was really kind of had a normal tour year in the end, or at least a money list and some results. And we got to watch some golf and the best players play. So, I mean, from that respect, the tour, at least the PGA tour did an unbelievable job. Um, And the level Bryson's obviously a story when he, he said he was going to gain all this weight this time last year. And he's going to come out and hit it further. It's like well, everyone rolls their eyes and go, okay, Bryson, whatever. But he came out and he actually did it. And no one's ever done that. No one's ever tried to gain distance significantly and not lost the plot. Right. Nobody's, had,
0: nobody's gained 60 pounds between masters appearances.
1: You know what? It's unbelievable. And like how well he's done that. And it's incredible. And the effect that that's going to have on the way young people approach the game. And then kind of the anti Bryson approach, if you like, with dust, with, uh, Dustin, I mean, he's not anti, but it's the opposite end of the spectrum that, that you've got bookends about how to approach golf. You know, you got no stone unturned Bryson. You get like Albert Einstein physics lessons and you've got a guy saying hit balls, fine ball, hit ball, sea ball. Let's just go. This is good fun. You know, like, what do you think about it too much? It's not that hard. Um, And everything in between. So I think it's, and they're both the best two golfers in the world. So it's, how good a stage is that? I mean, it's amazing. I think too much gets talked about distance. I think distance is a big part of the conversation that needs to happen in golf, but I think it needs to be uh, holistically thought about. Not, um, no snap little rule change here and there is going to do a whole lot. Of good for the game, but a holistic kind of approach from all angles and all thought, all parties and all thoughts, and um, just to keep these golf courses relevant, you know, would be interesting. But I think it gets talked about too much. You know, I think the level of golf at the top is so fun to watch at the moment. They're amazing. Um, yeah, bring on 21. Let's get a little bit of normality back uh, in travel and schedules and a few people in front of the golf courses and stuff. But the level of golf being played at the top of the game at the moment is higher now than it was this time last year and that's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, there's so many and it and it just seems like there's more and more young players, you know. There's just going to be floods of talent coming. Yeah, it, it, it happens with any sport when the purses go up with what Tiger did for the game, more athletes are going to come to the game, you know.
1: Yeah, and we're learning how to teach the swing better and I I think this whole, I mean, we've talked about it before, but I think growing up trying to hit it as hard as you can is actually a pretty good way to find your swing. So we've got, it used to be like pros would be like constantly kind of searching their swing. You know, everyone's like giving guys tips on the range and all the way through your career, you're always trying to find it. It seems like they've got a much better sense of what they've, they've they're more um, complete techniques at a young age. You know, they're flowing they've had more information better coaching, they're more complete golfers when they come out. They've sort of done a lot of, all they need to do is pick up a bit of experience and off they go. Whereas before, it was five or six years on tour before you kind of got your game up to the level. Now their game's at the level or even a higher level than most of the pros when they come out. Um, And it's amazing. It's It's definitely younging the average down. And I think golf in the 40s used to be a lot of guys' sweet spots. It's going to be harder and harder for guys in their 40s to compete because of, the way the game is played, you know, 20 year olds are just stronger than 40 year olds generally. Yeah. On a faster, basis, you know, faster. Yeah, fast, fast, faster is a better way to say it. Yeah. And if that continually gets rewarded as much as it does, and there's, there's so much to be gained in hitting it a long way and fast, the kind of the Jerry Kelly, David Toms, Steve Stricker, kind of in the forties, those great sort of twilights of PGA tour careers are going to be harder and harder to see, because it's going to be just harder to compete if you're not flying at 320, you know.
0: I, you know, I thought of you when I was watching live from, uh, and Jaime Diaz had like a bunch of tidbits on DJ. He talked to, you know, like his his teacher when he was growing up, and the teacher when he was growing up, his like one le- like lesson and message to DJ was always just hit it as hard as you can.
1: Yeah, well, that was J- Daly's kind of model too, right? And I always loved Daly's action. Um, And he was always, he made the sound and he had he was one of the ball strikers. Um, it's a good, like, back in the day, it was like, oh, well, long hitters hit it sideways. You know, you've got to hit it on the fairway. You've got to like, just be a sensible golfer. And that actually was, that headspace of trying to hit the fairway, that's actually a control-y headspace. You know, you're actually trying to control it. And that's what we don't want it. I mean, the great golf swings are, letting go of control right just just being relaxed and free and that's what happens when you start trying to hit the ball a long way you get a bit more free because you if you worry if you don't worry about where it goes it actually goes straighter <laughs> don't worry you know that's the the, most, the biggest the, the iron the ironic kind of frustration with golf really the real fundamental issue that everybody struggles with is control versus letting it happen you know and the letting it happen is where you want to be. But we want to hit it where we, we want to hit it straight. And we want to hit a good shot so bad that we all lean towards that controlling kind of side. Um, and that's where we get into all our paralysis by analysis headspace and messing with our heads, Dustin. And that model of just hitting it as hard as you can, it kind of frees you up from that. You know, it's more just like, oh, I just want to smash it. And that's how your body wants to work. You know, with like, take the governor off and just go, you know, and it frees up and it goes where it wants to go. It's a great way to learn how, you, how to swing it. And um, yeah, it's just going to continue to probably bring the average age of the best golfers in the world down, or at least the the average age of the, the PGA Tour, the age is going to get less and less, I think, for a bit. Yeah, yeah, it'll probably, yeah. there will still be, I mean, Dustin's still going to compete in his four, I mean, Mickelson's still one of the best players in the world at 50, you know, and there's still going to be those outliers. But the average age, I think, the, it used to be in the 30s guys' sweet spots. I think the sweet spots would be in the 20s. Late um, 20s. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, hey, thanks, uh, as always, for coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you maybe in 2021. Who knows next?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.